severe pain and surrounded by critical onlookers, Joe probably couldn't have been in a worse condition. Well, in the midst of this great suffering, he was submitted to false accusations by his so-called friends. But Job is not about to let those accusations stand. He is going to defend himself. The question is, though, is Job right when he mounts his own defense? Is he right in his own assessment of his condition? And that's what we're going to be considering on this edition of Basic Instructions Before Leaving Earth as we come to our study in Job chapters 9 and 10. And as you find your place in the Word of God, let's enter here with a word of prayer. Please bow your heart with me. Heavenly Father, God, we know that as your Word goes out into the world, it does not return to you void, because this is what you have promised to us. And Father, we pray that as your word goes out now, that you would, by your Holy Spirit, work in the hearts of those who hear and receive it, so that many may come to be called your children by your mercy and grace. And we pray this in the name of Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah. Amen. Now, in chapters 9 and 10, we have the answer of Job to Bildad. And as we saw, Bildad had not met the problem of Job at all. Job is going to make it very clear that these men had not met his need. In fact, they were not even speaking to his problem at all. And Job makes it clear at this point that he's not making any claim to perfection. And he knows right now that he cannot defend himself before God. He needs someone on his side to present his case. And note here that Job has a real heart cry for somebody to be his mediator and his intercessor before God. In other words, we are going to hear Job's heart cry out for Christ in this particular section here. And we come now to chapter 9, verse 1 of Job. Then Job answered, In truth, I know that this is so. But how can a man be in the right before God? In other words, what he's saying to Bildad now is that a lot of what you're saying is true. But actually, you haven't spoken into my problem here. You haven't met my need at all. In a general way, you've spoken true things. In truth, I know that this is so. But you're not talking to my problem. How am I to be just with God? This man sorely needed the gospel at this point, didn't he? Surely, he needed to know how a man can be just with God. And that is his problem. Now, he says here, I want some questions answered. I have some questions. And this man, Bildad, certainly didn't answer any questions for Job at all. Now, let's listen to him here. He's speaking now of God. And he says in verse 3, if one wished to dispute with him, he could not answer him once in a thousand times. Wise in heart and mighty in strength, who has defied him without harm? Now Job says, I'm not fronting here. I don't pretend. If you think I'm trying to put up a front before God, you're wrong. Because of the fact that I know 
I cannot contend with him. My arms are too short to box with God. And he could ask me a question that I'd never be able to answer. And that is going to happen later on in this book, by the way. But Job says, I want some answers to my questions. And I want God to answer them. Because right now, God is far removed from me. Now he says, verse 5, Is it God who removes the mountains? They know not how. When he overturns them in his anger, who shakes the earth out of its place and its pillars tremble? Who commands the sun not to shine and sets a seal upon the stars? Who alone stretches out the heavens and tramples down the waves of the sea? This is a tremendous picture of God as the creator here. Now, Job knew him as a creator, but Job knows nothing about his tender mercies at this point at all. And he gives this picture here. He says, verse 9, Who makes the bear Orion and the Pleiades and the chambers of the south, who does great things unfathomable and wondrous works without number? Apparently, Job did know something about the stars. But you can see that even though this man knew something about the stars, he's not attempting to say that he's in the situation that he's in because he was born under a certain star. I have heard people claim that, and it is without doubt one of the most foolish things, I think. And Shakespeare also answered that. You remember that Brutus was talking it over with Mark Antony. And he said to him, it's not in our stars, but in ourselves that we're underlings. And it's not in Job's stars that he's in this situation. But he recognized that God is the creator of the stars. Now he says here, verse 11, Were he to pass by me, I would not see him. Were he to move past me, I would not perceive him. And the whole point is that God is a spirit, and you can't see him at all. Job had learned a great lesson, and he knew something about God as creator. But that's about all he knew about him. He says, verse 12, Were he to snatch away, who could restrain him? Who could say to him, What are you doing? God will not turn back his anger. Beneath him crouch the helpers of Rahab. How then can I answer him and choose my words before him? Job says, I wouldn't stand a chance coming into his presence. I wouldn't know what to say. And then he says here, verse 15, For though I were right, I could not answer. I would have to implore the mercy of my judge. If I called and he answered me, I could not believe that he was listening to my voice. Job says, I wouldn't even know what to say if he did speak to me. Verse 17, For he bruises me with a tempest and multiplies my wounds without cause. He will not allow me to get my breath, but saturates me with bitterness. If it is a matter of power, behold, he is the strong one. And if it is a matter of justice, who can summon him? He's saying here, how in the world am I going to plead my case before him? Now verse 20, Though I am righteous, my mouth will condemn me. Though I am guiltless, he will declare me guilty. In other words, Job says, if I try to pretend that I'm perfect, my own mouth will condemn me. But we are going to find out a little later on that actually Job did have a pretty high estimation of himself. 
he did have a high estimation of himself. He's not the man who said this, for I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. And that's in Romans chapter 7, verse 18. Now, Job is not saying that he's perfect, but he contends that he's a pretty good man, a righteous man, by the way. Though I were righteous, he says, though I am righteous, my mouth will condemn me. But he says, I recognize that if I come before God, I wouldn't be able to defend myself. Now, that is the position that a great many people are in today who do not know the word of God at all, although they may be church members. They feel that they will be able to stand before God, that they're going to go into God's presence and they will be able to meet his standard. And they think that they're actually well-pleasing to him today. My friend, God is a righteous judge, and he is the only one who is just. Now, you may be a wonderful person, but you're just like me. And it doesn't matter who you are listening to this, by the way. You're like me, at a minimum. We've lied, or stolen, or lusted. And when the judge adds up all the evidence, well, he can't be a righteous judge and a just one if he just overlooks those things, no matter how nice and sweet of, of people we may be. The very interesting thing is what a misconception there is of God in the world today, that somehow or another you're going to be able to please him. Now, actually, Job felt like he would be able to stand before God, but he didn't know that how he was going to be able to defend himself. He couldn't go to court without an attorney. And he says now, verse 21, I am guiltless. I do not take notice of myself. I despise my life. It is all one. Therefore, I say he destroys the guiltless and the wicked. If the scourge kills suddenly, he mocks the despair of the innocent. The earth is given into the hand of the wicked. He covers the faces of its judges. If it is not he, then who is it? Now my days are swifter than a runner. They flee away. They see no good. They slip by like reed boats, like an eagle that swoops on its prey. Though I say, I will forget my complaint. I will leave off my sad countenance and be cheerful. I am afraid of all my pains. I know that you will not acquit me. I am accounted wicked. Why then should I toil in vain? If I should wash myself with snow and cleanse my hands with lye, yet you would plunge me into the pit, and my own clothes would abhor me. And we can see here that Job is not perfect. He said that God was treating him unfairly. He says that instead of submitting to God's will. He's now he's starting to be broken down. And this is going to bring about God's rebuke of Job in chapters 38 through 41. And Job will repent of everything that he said in chapter 42. But right now, Job felt that because he couldn't defend himself, that he would be found guilty and plunged into the pit. And now he gives really what we have here is a heart cry for Christ. Verse 32 for he is not a man as I am, that I may answer him, that we may go to court together. 
Now, what he's saying is this. He had already said, if I try to justify myself, my own mouth will condemn me. In other words, when I come into God's presence, he's going to think of something that I'm not thinking of right now. And I don't think I'll be able to answer him. Now, if he was a man, I could talk to him. And that's the reason that God became a man, my friend, so that you could talk to him. So that you and I would be able to understand God. He would be able to communicate with us and show to us that we don't meet God's standard at all. The only man that ever met God's standard was Jesus Christ. And none of us can come up to his standard at all. That's the curse of these New Age gurus and these books that have been written in recent years. Liberalism running rampant, saying that Jesus was just a man, and some of them actually say that he committed sin. But the only place that they can find sin is not in the Word of God. It's in their own evil, dirty hearts where they find it. Jesus Christ was God incarnate. And he was without sin, you see. But he was a man, flesh and bone. And I can go to him because he shed his blood and died for me on the cross. And he shows me by his life that I cannot meet God's standard. And I need a savior. And by his death down here, he saved me. And he came back from the dead and sat down at the right hand of God to be my defense attorney before the judge and before the accuser. He died down here to save us. He lives up there today to keep us saved. And that's what Job is crying out for right here when he says, For he is not a man as I am, that I may answer him, that we may go to court together. He's saying, I don't stand a chance. I'm man and he's God. But now, he's a man, my friend. Now, Job says, verse 33, There is no umpire between us who may lay his hand upon us both. There's no mediator between us. Somebody who can lay his hand upon both of us. Job says, If there was only someone who could take his hand and lay it in the hand of God, and someone who could put his hand in my hand and bring us together. If someone could do that, well, then I would have a mediator. And the Word of God says, Paul wrote to a young preacher named Timothy and said in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, For there is one God and one mediator, also between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Now that song that says, Put your hand in the hand of the man from Galilee... Well, it's only half true. You must remember that the man from Galilee has another hand, and that hand is in the hand of God, because that is the hand of God, beloved. He is the God-man. What a glorious, wonderful plea this is from this man Job that we see here. Verse 34, Let him remove his rod from me, and let not the dread of him terrify me. Then I would speak and not fear him, but I am not like that in myself. Now Job continues on here in chapter 10, and I'll begin reading verse 1 of chapter 10 of Job. I loathe my own life. 
I will give full vent to my complaint. I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. Now Job says, well, in the meantime, since I don't have a mediator with God right now, since there is no man to represent me before God, and since I'm stuck here in this life, well, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to speak in the bitterness of my soul. I'm weary of life, and I'm going to vent. I won't hold back anymore. I'm going to tell you exactly how I feel. I'm not hiding it anymore. And he's already said it to Eliphaz before, and he's saying it again. You must understand, a man in Job's con condition doesn't put on. Job's not playing the hypocrite. He really, at, he really is in a sad plight and a sad condition. Listen to him now. Verse 2, I will say to God, do not condemn me. Let me know why you contend with me. Well, God's going to answer him on that before we're through, by the way. God is going to show him. And this man is going to find out something about himself and something that we all need to find out about ourselves. But note, Job will say to God, do not condemn me. Now, he's not speaking about eternal condemnation. He means this awful, terrible, dreadful disease that he's been stricken with. He's trapped in a living death. And he's asking for God to show him why this has happened to him. Verse 3, Is it right for you indeed to oppress, to reject the labor of your hands, and to look favorably on the schemes of the wicked? In other words, Job says, I want to know why this is happening. Why I have to suffer in this manner when there are wicked men who are not suffering like this. And by the way, that's a problem that confronted David. We see that in a few of his psalms. And I tell you, that's a problem that's confronted me. I've wondered, why are there so many godly, decent people who have been through so much suffering? And there's so many godless men who seem to get by with so much sin. And looking at history, we see that too. But we also see that if you give God enough time, He will deal with it. They only appear to get by with it. it. It only lasts for a season, although it may seem to us quite a long season. And I enjoy this book of Job very much because it really gets down where the rubber meets the road. This book really is the first book in the Bible, by the way, meaning that it's the most ancient. And Job started off the progress of God's revelation to man right here where the ball hits the bat, my friend. And now Job is going to begin to wail and cry out. And he's beginning to recognize his sad plight. And it looks like he's been neglected of God. Verse 4. Have you eyes of flesh? Or do you see as a man sees? And the whole point is, Job says, he believes that God just doesn't see him in his real condition. See, that's another reason that Christ became a man, that God became a man down here. Why? So that you and I would know that there is a man in the glory that knows me and that understands me. He's been through the trials and the weariness of life. He's seen through human eyes. And he's known the frailty of living in an earthly body. He knows how I feel. 
There is not one single pulsation that ever entered the human brain that the Lord Jesus did not feel when he was here on this earth 2,000 years ago. He knows how I feel. He knows how you feel. And then Job goes on here, verse 5. Are your days as the days of a mortal, or your years as man's years, that you should seek for my guilt and search after my sin? Job is now beginning to defend himself. He's going defensive. And he's not willing to admit that there was any great sin in his life. And there was sin, we'll find out. But not what we would call a great sin. Listen to him now, verse 7. According to your knowledge, I am indeed not guilty, yet there is no deliverance from your hand. Now Job says, God, I'm in a pretty awkward position. You see, God knows that he's not wicked, but he can't escape from his hand. And Job says, why should I go through all of this that I'm going through? And here is a man who did need just a little humility, actually. And have you ever noticed that humbleness and patience are a couple of things that God doesn't just hand out to you on a silver platter and give you a silver spoon to lap it up? You don't gain humility by that method. It's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Patience and humility both are. And it will only be by experience in this life that you and I can become patient and become humble. And God's going to produce both of these fruits in Job. And you remember in the epistle of James, remember James says, you have heard of the patience of Job. Well, may I say I've read this book many times. I've studied it thoroughly all the way through. And I conclude that James was right. And that is all that I know about the patience of Job. I've heard of it. But I find it very difficult to see how this man was patient as we go through the book. But at the end, I do see how Job learned patience from his testing. And he learned humility, too. Now, if it had simply been a question of Job's patience, well, that is going to break down, as we shall see. He's crying out to God here. But when we get toward the end, when the Lord answers Job, you begin to see, my friend, that God was making him patient. God was giving him humility. And God does that, you see? Now, moving on, Job says, verse 8, Your hands fashioned and made me altogether, and you would destroy me? Remember now that you have made me as clay, and would you turn me into dust again? Did you not pour me out like milk and curdle me like cheese? Clothe me with skin and flesh, and knit me together with bones and sinews? You have granted me life and loving kindness, and your care has preserved my spirit. Job goes back now into his pessimism and his negativity, and he goes back again to the question, why was I born? And it's interesting, isn't it, the way that Job describes how God created him. He uses tremendous language, and Job seems to indicate that he was granted life when God began fashioning him together, piecing together his bones, covering them with skin and flesh. Job seems to believe 
that his life began at conception. And I think that that's interesting. But moving on now, verse 13. Yet these things you have concealed in your heart. I know that this is within you. If I sin, then you would take note of me and would not acquit me of my guilt. If I am wicked, woe to me. And if I am righteous, I dare not lift up my head. I am sated with grace and conscience, uh, conscious of my misery. Should my head be lifted up, you would hunt me like a lion, and again you would show your power against me. And Job now wondered if it was in God's divine plan to not ever show him mercy. Verse 17, You renew your witnesses against me and increase your anger toward me. Hardship after hardship is with me. And Job now thinks that God seemed to send these men to accuse him. As each new speaker is bringing a new wave of condemnation and increasing his suffering. Verse 18. Why then have you brought me out of the womb? Would that I had died and no eye had seen me. I should have been as though I had not been, carried from womb to tomb. Now, Job is not only being negative and wishing that he had never been born. Now he's also asking God for the reason why he allowed him to be born. Now, he started out with this wish way back in chapter 3, and he's going to stay in this place throughout most of his testing, by the way. To him, death right now is something to be desired because it would put him out of his misery. It would get it away from this scene. And he welcomes it as something that would put him in a state of unconsciousness. But if you think that you can draw something from this book to support soul sleep, you're entirely wrong. Because we're going to see later that Job says, I know that my Redeemer lives, and in my flesh I shall see God. This book doesn't teach soul sleep at all. But this man Job was wishing that that would happen to him. And Job wished that he hadn't been born. And you can if you want to. That's something that you can wish. Job wished that. Not only Job, but actually Elijah wished that. And Jonah wished that. Many great men and women have come to the place where that is their wish. If you want to know the truth about it, I've wished that. But that's one wish that is never going to come true for anybody. Because... When you wish you had never been born, that doesn't undo your birth. If you're wishing it, sorry, we can't change it, you've been born. And that's really just a waste of time. And also, wishing that you were dead won't help either. No one ever died by wishing they were dead. And I'm willing to bet that 99% of everybody who ever says, I wish I were dead, well, we really don't mean it at all. We're just talking. We're just lamenting. And I feel like when Job is faced with it here, he, did, he didn't really mean that he wished he was dead. But he is still in this terrible, horrible pain emotionally and physically. And his friends were just adding to his pain now. And right now he's pouring out his soul. And again, we can see there is a breaking down of this man's integrity. God has to break through to a pretty hard heart here. And you know, a lot of believers have proud, hard hearts today. Now, verse 20, 
Would he not let my few days alone? Withdraw from me that I may have a little cheer. Before I go, and I shall not return to the land of darkness and deep shadow, the land of utter gloom as darkness itself, of deep shadow without order, and which shines as the darkness. And now, again, Job says, just leave me alone. Let me live out my last few days in peace, and then I'll die. And that'll be the end of it. And that is Job's response to Bildad. In the next chapter, chapter 11, the third friend, Zophar, is going to speak to Job. And we're going to see that next time. Before then, I would encourage you to read ahead uh, through chapter 11, as well as uh, read all the way through chapters 11 and 12 to get a preview for next time. And uh, read back through chapters 9 and 10 to review what we've covered today and so that you can of course come to your own conclusions and we'll be picking it up in verse 1 of Job 11 next time and until then may God richly bless you my beloved see you later